The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. All right, this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, flip on over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that you take that with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, we want you to have a copy of God's Word so you can study it and uh, know it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So several weeks ago, uh, five weeks ago to be uh, specific, we started a series called Move 2021. And Move 2021 has been all about vision casting. Who are we as a church? Where are we going as a church? Uh, how are we going to accomplish our mission? All that kind of stuff is what we've been talking about. And uh, so week one, uh, we said our focal text for the entire series is John chapter 20, verse 21, where, jo- uh, where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So here's the truth this morning, church. You have been sent You've been sent to accomplish a specific thing. And on that first week, we said our purpose individually and corporately is to seek and save the lost. And because of our encounter with the resurrected Christ, we have the boldness and power to accomplish that purpose. We've been sent not to run in place, right? We're not here just to do programs and and have uh, groups and classes and all these different things. We're here to accomplish something and to be effective in how we accomplish it, right? That's where we get our purpose statement, which is to love God, love others, and make disciples. That's what we're about as a church. That's our singular focus. Love God, love others, make disciples. And we accomplish that purpose by doing four things, gathering, growing, giving, and going. And so as we've been walking through the series, we've been defining what those words mean. It's important to define terms, right? You can have a conversation with someone and start arguing with them and then realize you are saying the same thing, just using different words, right? Um, so week uh, two, we talked about gather. We, we, we talked about gathering and we defined what we mean when we say fellowship gathers, right? We said gather means we focus on the spiritual well-being of one another, It means we provoke one another towards love and good works. It means we commune with one another. It means we bestow courage to one another because we're working together to seek and save the lost, right? We said we gather so that we can go. All of this uh, gathering and relationship building that we do here as a church has a purpose, and that purpose is to seek and save the lost. If we're just gathering for the sake of gathering, then we're just like any other social club in Nederland. We are different than that. We are Christ's church given a purpose. And so we gather so that we can go. And then the next week we talked about growing and the importance of growing. We defined what we mean when we say fellowship grows. Grows. We said the Holy Spirit gives us everything we need for growth. It's not that we have to go to God and say, God, please enable me to grow. He's already giving you his spirit, which enables you to grow. We must make every effort towards growth is what Paul said. We, make, uh, we talked about the, mission, the milestones of spiritual growth we should be aiming towards, moral goodness, knowledge, self-control, constancy, devotion to God, Christian love, and love in general. And we have said then as well, we grow to go, right, to be fruitful. We grow so that we can be fruitful. And then last week we started uh, talking about give. We talked about the difference between tithing and giving. We said that tithing, tithing is agreeing with God that a tenth of your income is his and should be returned to him first. That's what a tithe is. Uh, we defined what we mean when we say fellowship gives. We said living generously with our financial resources. But fellowship gives means two things, right? It means that we give 
generously with our financial resources, and also it means we live generously with our labor, with our time and our talents and our abilities. We talked about the substance of our financial giving, that it should be sacrificial. We talked about the motive of our financial giving, that we should be a cheerful giver. We don't give because the preacher says we have to give. We give because we genuinely want to be part of what God is doing in and around the world. We talked about the purpose of our financial giving, that it's a privilege to be part of that mission, that we give again so that we can go. This week, we're going to look at part two of what we mean when we say give. We're going to talk about the idea that we're living generously with our labor. All right, so William Penn, Pennsylvania, right? William Penn, he once said, time is what we want most, but what we use the worst. And that is a very true statement, right? We uh, are, are horrible at using our time sometimes. Our time is so incredibly valuable. We only have a limited amount of it. Every second we use is a second we'll never get back. And so that being said, how are we spending it? How do we spend our time? We live in a culture where busyness is a virtue, right? You go up to someone and hey, man, what's going on? And you know, I've just been really busy, really busy. We respond to everybody with, man, just been busy, just been working, been busy. And, and we are, we're a very busy culture. We spend a lot of time moving. We don't spend a whole lot of time sitting. We're a very busy culture. But the, tr- but the, the question is, what are we laboring for? What are we busy with? What are we doing with our time? Um, the, other day, the other night we were hanging out with uh, the Myers who have been visiting. We were hanging out with Cameron and Madison as well. They came over to the house. We were eating nachos. And we started talking about uh, the feature on the iPhone that says screen time. Have you ever looked at that? Have you ever opened your phone and looked to see how much time you've spent on your phone? If I'm honest, I felt assaulted when I looked at it. It was embarrassing. It was worse than uh, whenever my phone started telling me that it was time to stand up. I felt worse. <laughs> it was an embarrassing amount of time that was wasted. Wasted. Right? We waste so much time. We waste so much time. We've only been given a finite amount of time, and as the church, we've been given a mission. And we should expend our labor on the mission. Listen this morning, you've been given a mission by God to seek and save the lost. That's what God has called you to do. And we as his people should go and expend our time fully on seeking and saving the lost. Everything that we should be about should be about seeking and saving the lost. Paul sets an example for us in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 28. He says that we proclaim him. We proclaim Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And this is what he says, I labor for this. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Paul's saying that the mission is proclaiming him and discipling those who respond with faith. That's what we're about. That's what we're about this morning, church. We're about proclaiming him and discipling those who respond with faith. He says that he labored for this. He strived in the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective towards the mission. That's what Paul lived his life for. That's his entire mission, his singular focus in life, is to live for this mission. And so we've been given one mission. As a church, we've been given one mission. You as a believer, someone who has surrendered your life to Christ, has been given one mission, one purpose, and that's to seek and save the lost. And we must expend our labor towards that to be effective. 
We need to proclaim Christ and disciple those who respond in faith. This is where we expend our labor. This is where we should spend our time. This is where we should invest our energy. We're busy. We're a busy culture, but are we busy doing what matters? Paul goes into more detail in our text in 1 Corinthians about what this looks like as a church. Let's take a look, starting in chapter 12, verse 4. It says, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. What's Paul saying? He's saying that we're equipped to labor for the mission. Um, Several years ago, I was on a lease with my dad, my brother, and a few other guys, and uh, there was like five of us, and my dad had found this really good deal on deer corn at Brookshire Brothers in Silsby. Well, at that point, we were living in Lumberton, so who's got to pick it up? The guy that lives closest to Silsby. So uh, I go to pick it up, and it's a lot. It's enough deer corn for five guys for the entire season, and we had some extra at the end, all right? It was a lot of deer corn. I don't even remember how many bags of it, but it was a lot. In my mind, I did not calculate how much weight goes into that much deer corn. All right? Now, this is, this is very important to do the math and figure it out because uh, when you're pulling a trailer, you want to make sure that you don't overweight the trailer. Right? And so at this point, I did not have a truck. I had a little Nissan Xterra, which is basically a girl car. And, uh, <laughs> and I had this trailer on the back that I had bought to pull around a golf cart, but it was like a piece of plywood would fit on it. It was that small. It was a single axle. It had like golf cart tires on the back of it. I mean, it was a little bitty. And so I load up my little girl car with my little girl trailer, and uh, we head on over to Silsby. And uh, if you're a girl, no offense, you probably have a bigger truck than me. That's cool. Uh, but I drive to Silsby, and, uh, and I get to Brookshire Brothers, and, and the guy there, uh, it's like a whole pallet of deer corn. And, and the guy looks at me, and he's like, I don't think that's going to work, man. I was like, well, it's got to work. This is all I got. And so we load as much as we can in the back of the car, and then we fill the trailer with the rest. And I'm like, I'm just going to go slow, and I'll be all right. So I, I start driving from Sealsby back to Lumberton, and uh, I get probably about three, maybe four miles from my house, and I have a flat. I'm like, oh, man. So I pull over and jack it up, and luckily I had a spare. Put the spare, a uh, little big tire on to replace it. Get back on the road. Maybe a mile down the road, I have another flat. At this point, I'm like, I'm so close. Like, I can, like, smell my house from this. Like, just so close. I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to take it slow and just go for it. So I go in, and uh, the spare goes flat. <laughs> so now I'm rolling on two flats. I'm like, I, I just got to make it. I'm just so close. And, uh, and so I get to um, the, the point where I'm turning on my street. And, and I'm, it's like, you know, you got the center lane where you're turning and traffic's going both, both ways. I'm on Highway 96 in Lumberton, and uh, it's pretty far north, Lumberton. So I'm, I'm there and, and waiting for my turn. I'm like, dear God, just please let me make it home. Just please let me make it home. I'll replace these tires when I get home. Not a big deal. And uh, as I t- take that turn to, to turn on my road in the middle of the highway, one of the tires falls off. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what happened. And so I'm like, you know what? We've gone this far. Let's keep on going. (laughs) 
So I just hit the gas a little more <laughs> and keep going. And I make it through. I mean, what am I going to do? Stop in the middle of Highway 96. I got to keep going. So I'm, I make it through uh, onto to my road, and then the other wheel fell off. And so that was it. That's all she wrote. You can't go after that, right? So I'm, I, I can see my house. I could probably, I'll throw like a girl, and I could probably throw a football to, to my house from there. And, uh, and, but, but what I had to do was call a tow truck to load up this trailer with all this deer corn and go drop it off at my house so that I could repair it later. And, uh, and, and so, you know, being equipped for the task is important, right? <laughs> Having what you need, the tools that you need to get the job done, that, that's an important thing. Uh, and also not being an idiot is important. Um, but we have been equipped to labor for the mission that God has given us. You've, you've been equipped. God has equipped you for a purpose. He's given you what you need to accomplish what he's called you to do. We as Christ's church have been given this singular mission of seeking and saving the lost, and we have been equipped with what we need to accomplish that mission. Look what, what Paul says. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. A manifestation of, of God's Spirit dwells within you, enabling you to do what God has called you to do. We've been given a manifestation station of the spirit so that we can accomplish the mission god has given you his spirit not so that you can just dwell in his spirit and enjoy it it's so that you can turn around and use it for his glory it's a gift that you've been given so that you can pour it back towards his mission this isn't a new idea for us we've been talking about this throughout this series and we keep talking about it because it's imperative to the mission we're talking about it over and over and over again because this is something we must get that we have been equipped for the mission, you can't accomplish the mission without the Spirit. We need him to be effective. That's why uh, we see in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So the mission is to be witnesses, and we've been given the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission. Right? So if you have professed Christ, if you are a Christian this morning, God's very spirit dwells within you and has given you certain gifts, spiritual gifts, so that you can turn around and use those for his glory. Not so that you can build an awesome business and, and, and love your family and do all this stuff. It's so that you can invest it back in his mission. He's giving you something so you can turn around and use it for him. Look back at the text. It says, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. We've been given different gifts based on God's will, not, not ours. So you get someone else, and you're like, man, I wish I was like that guy. I wish I had that guy's gift. No, God's giving you the gift that you're supposed to have. We've been given different responsibilities or ministries based on God's will, not ours. You serve God where he wants you to serve, not where you want to serve. We've been given different experiences or activities based on God's will, not ours. Certain things have happened in your life, molding you and shaping you for this moment to be used by God. You are who you are because God wanted to mold you and shape you into the person you are so he could use you for his glory, so that he could use you to seek and save the lost. All of this equips us for the mission of seeking and saving the lost. We've been equipped to labor for the mission. We've also been united to labor for the mission. Look at verse 11. It says, One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing each person as he wills. For just as the body is one 
and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. Paul uses the illustration of our bodies. We are we have all these different parts of our bodies, but they all work to one common goal, right? They all work together as one. Verse 24, skip to verse 24. It says, instead, God has put the whole body, what, together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should be the same, uh, should have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Look at what it says, when, when one member fails, we all fail. When one, member, when one member succeeds, we all succeed, right? Because we are one unit. We as a church are one unit. Not only are we equipped to, to labor for the mission, but we're also united to labor for the mission. We don't have to do this alone. That's a gift. Do you get that? I don't know about you. I don't like to be alone. I will call someone to just ride with me to Walmart because I don't want to be by myself. But God has enabled us to do this mission. He's given us people to do this with. We don't have to be alone. Paul's making the point that we are one now. We got a lot of married couples in the room. And as a married couple, you fully understand the difficulty of that process of becoming one. Right? You remember those early days in marriage where all those little things would drive you crazy? Right? <laughs> You're in trouble. Um, you remember, like, like, Becca doesn't push all the toothpaste to the front. She squeezes it from the middle, which is barbaric, but I'm over it now. But then she would get super frustrated with me because I'd leave my clothes in the bathroom floor, right? So now that we've been married for 15 years, I put my clothes in the dirty clothes where they go, and she still squeezes the toothpaste from the middle. We become one. Right, And that can be a painful process, but it's an important process. Same is true for us as a church. We become one. We become one body, all working together to accomplish the mission that God has given us. We become one so that we can labor together as one unit. We can accomplish so much more together. We can accomplish so much more together. i got a picture I want to illustrate this with. Those are ants, which is terrifying. Uh, but these are army ants. And they, what they've done is they've formed a bridge from a light pole all the way up to the house. And they're working together as one unit to steal all the goodies there. They're actually robbing a, uh, a hornet's nest or a bee nest for the honey. And so they're going into the nest and, br- and bringing it back out. Unbelievable how they work together as one unit to accomplish one goal. That's what we should look like as a church. That's what we should look like as a church. We should work together as one unit, everybody doing their job, everybody fulfilling their role so that we can accomplish what God has called us to do. God has created us all with unique personalities, experiences, gifts, and talents so that we can labor together. We're all different. We've all been created different, and that's intentional so that we can all work together to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Look at what Paul says, uh, or he tells the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of, uh, in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. What does it look like to work, work, uh, work, walk worthy of your salvation? Uncommon unity. That's what Paul's saying. For us to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that we've been given, we should walk in unity, uncommon unity, right? The rest of the world can be united, but our unity looks different, right? We go above and beyond. We're a step ahead of the world because we should be different, right? Paul's saying, you've been given much, live like it. Because of what Christ has done in your life, that should be your singular focus. Don't worry about all the nitpicky stuff because none of that other stuff matters. All that matters is the gospel and us proclaiming the gospel and living the mission. And so all the other little petty stuff, leave it alone. Live in unity. What's it take to labor as one? Paul gives us the answer. First he says humility. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. You are a filthy, rotten sinner in need of grace just like everyone else. Let me encourage you. (laughs) Also, gentleness. Deal with people with gentleness. Saying it like it is without any thought of the other person's feeling is not a unifying characteristic. You're just a jerk. Patience. Don't easily get frustrated. That's a hard one, right? When you're dealing with people who don't think like you or don't behave like you, sometimes you want to wring their necks, right? <laughs> but we have to have patience. I love how he says bearing one another, bearing one another. What that means is that you have to endure one another, even the annoying stuff. And then it requires intentionality. Look what he says. He says, make every effort. We have to work towards unity. It's not just going to happen. You have to do the work. You have to spend time together. You have to get to know each other. You have to get to to know each other in a way to where you don't second guess what they're really thinking. Right? There's a dangerous thing that we do as human beings where when we get frustrated, we ascribe someone's feelings based on what they said. Sometimes that's not reality. Sometimes someone says something, you automatically assume their motive, and then you get angry with them. When in reality, that could have not been their motive at all. And what fixes that? Confrontation. Nobody likes confrontation, but confrontation is what fixes that, right? Come and talk to the person and say, look, you said this, and here's how I felt about it. And have an honest conversation, right? That is how we maintain unity. It's not just going to happen. You have to work for it. We labor as one so that we can seek and save. Listen, if we don't work together, it's going to be really difficult for us to accomplish the mission that God has given us. We have to work together. If you've got a problem with somebody, be bold enough to go tell them, hey, look, this is what happened, and I just want to let you know this is how it made me feel. And if someone comes at you like that, be patient enough and loving enough to receive it. The next thing Paul talks about is that we are needed to labor for the mission. Uh, as most of you know, we have a large family, four kids, and to make things work, everyone has to contribute. Everybody. In fact, I've got a video I'm going to let you watch. It's pretty interesting from a few years ago. 
That's Davis, two years old, folding towels. This is the point where we educate them on how to do work. So now Davis is five and Piper's six, and they fold all the towels and do, do the laundry. Yeah, it's, oh, and don't mind Jackson without a shirt on eating popcorn off the ground. It's another product of living with so many people. You got to eat what you got to eat, right? You are needed to labor for the mission. I got some pictures, too. There they are unloading groceries, and there's Davis folding shirts over there. Now, it's not always very good, but at least it's done, right? So, you're needed to labor for the mission. You're needed. You were designed for a purpose. God created you, gave you spiritual gifts, gave you experiences, gave you all these different things so that you could turn around and use them for his glory. You were needed for this, right? You were designed to serve a function. We need people to transition from consumers to contributors. A lot of people will come and listen to the sermon, sing some songs, and they go home. That is not what church is about. You're called to be a contributor. You're called to be involved in the mission and what we're doing. There's two flaws in thinking that we can pull from our text. Two flaws in thinking. First flaw is that you don't matter to the mission. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It's not for the reason... For that reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. And if they were all uh, the same part, where would the body be? Listen, you matter to the mission. That's what Paul's saying. You can't say, well, I don't have this gift or I don't have this ability, and I, so I just can't serve. I can't be part of it. I, you, you have to decide... Are you going to do what God has called you to do and and, and invest your talents and your your abilities and and your labor towards the common mission, or are you not? There's a lot of people that think because they they can't speak publicly or because they're not musical, that they can't serve a function within the church. Listen, the church serves a much larger function than music and public speaking. A much larger function than music and public speaking. That, there, there's so much more that we do that is so much more important than the public speaking and the music part. There's, there's just so much that goes on around here, and people need to get involved. Find something you can do and do it. I'm going to give you some examples of people here that do it. Joanna Keller makes coffee. God bless her. Right? We all, we all benefit from that. Bill Decker, he checks the racks behind the pews every Sunday morning for trash, and he puts new uh, Bibles in and refills the cards and pens and all that good stuff. Miss Mona Roundtree cleans our missions department when people come and stay. Miss Nan Decker yesterday organized a widow's banquet that turned out awesome. Miss Linda Stilley cleans our restrooms. Bill Carlton puts out guest flags every morning. The list goes on and on and on. Several do guest services and first impressions. Several do media. Several do kids ministry. Several do student ministry. Several help with maintenance around here. Several do tech. Several uh, are discipling one-on-one. There's so many people that do stuff around here that's not public speaking or music. There's a lot that goes on. It could go on and on and on. And there's no way to name every person that does stuff around here. All of it is important, though. All of it. We need you to do your part for the greater good. 
God has equipped you for it. He's equipped you specifically to be deployed to serve a specific role within the body to aid in effectively accomplishing the mission, and you matter. you got to find your spot and get involved because God has called you to do it. The other flaw in thinking from our text is that others don't matter to the mission. Look at verse 20. As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with great honor and our uh, unrespectable parts are treated with great respect, which is our respectable parts, uh, which our respectable parts do not need. Pride will destroy our unity. That's the point there. Pride's going to destroy our unity. I've uh, led worship for many years and played with a lot of musicians. Seems like musicians sometimes have a propensity to be jerks. Let me just tell you, uh, all of ours are awesome. We don't have any. We don't deal with any of that. Let me just say that now. None of ours, except for Julian, are jerks, all right? I'm just joking. But I've worked with musicians before that think that their poop don't stink, right? They think that they're God's gift to mankind, and they, uh, they totally act like it. And in rehearsal, they are miserable to work with. No one wants to labor with someone like that. You matter, but don't ever think that you matter more than someone else. Your role within the church is not more important than any other role within the church. We need current leaders to see potential in others to invest in others. Our, we just had a growth group leaders meeting a couple of weeks ago, and we communicated how we're going to develop leaders in our church. We need leaders in our church. We need people to step up and say, I'm willing to take a role I'm willing to take responsibility, but leaders have to be developed. And so what we've challenged our current leaders to do is to duplicate themselves, right? And really that should be something that we're all doing. Regardless of what position you serve in the church, you need to find someone else that you're training to do the job as well because we need to duplicate ourselves. That should be our focus. So we get more people involved, more people using their gift, more people using the, the, the gifts that they've been given to invest in Christ's church. We need to duplicate ourselves. So if you serve in kids, Duplicate yourself. Find more people to help serving kids and train them. If you serve making coffee, find other people to help you. If you uh, serve in guest services or uh, uh, first impressions, wherever you're at, find people to help you and, and train them to do the same job so that we get more people involved. You matter, but so does everyone else. And here's the final point this morning and where this is all heading. We have a reason to labor for the mission. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. This is a commonly misused passage of scripture. You ever been to a wedding? And they're like, love is patient, love is kind, right? Uh, you watch The Office, they, uh, there's a point where Pam and Jim get married, they read that text. It's not a marriage text. It has nothing to do with marriage. It's beautiful. If you want to read it at your wedding, go for it, but it's not a marriage text. What, what Paul's doing, he's carrying on the thought that he's already had about the church, right? And so what he says is, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all the faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am, what does he say, nothing. 
And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order that to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What's he saying? Why do we labor? Because we genuinely love people. Why do we work? Why do we labor? Why do we invest all this? Because we genuinely love people. We have to look out on the world and not have disdain for people. We have to have love. If our disdain is in our heart or apathy, then we're doing this for all the wrong reasons. We do what we do because we genuinely love people. That's what Paul's saying. All, you can work till you're blue in the face, but none of it matters if you do it without love. None of it matters if you do it with the wrong motive. You have to do it because you love others. I feel like we're in a dangerous place where our, where our culture is headed right now. Because culturally we've become so divisive. Right? And, that, and that same spirit has infiltrated the church. Right? A lot of people look out on the world. A lot of Christians look out on the world. And in their heart there's disdain. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. That's not, that's not the spirit of God in you. That's the spirit uh, of self. That's the spirit uh, of, of just you know, anger and resentment. That's not of God. When we look out on this world and we see them behaving in ways that are different from how we think we should behave, why would we be surprised that lost people act lost? We shouldn't look at those people with disdain in our heart. We should look at those people with love and mercy, and have this desire to seek and save the lost. These people are just lost, just like you were before you knew Christ. We should look out on the world with love. We can labor for the rest of our lives, but if we labor without love, Paul says, we are nothing and we've gained nothing. That's what he just said. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go. 